The Blue and White Tonight podcast is not affiliated in any way with the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Toronto Marlies, or Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. The purpose of this program is to inform, entertain, and share the passion for the blue and white. You know, one thing about Austin, he wants to be the best player, and so guys who want to be the best player usually don't have too much trouble bearing down and getting to work. He's a worker anyway. So, uh, you know, I thought it was obviously a good year for Austin. He enjoyed the city. The city enjoyed him. He was a good player, but he needs to get better, and he knows that. Fanstream Media presents the Toronto Maple Leafs online radio show. For the fans, by the fans, it's the Blue and White Tonight podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Blue and White Tonight podcast, the second one this week. If you haven't tuned into episode 23 yet, we released that a couple of days ago. And that was uh, the news bits of the week and talking about the past playoff series that just happened and and the season in general. Plus, we looked at some of the news that went down. We didn't get to the forwards. Well, we did, but we decided to split it into two different shows. So without further ado, here's the rest of episode 23, and we're going to call this one episode 24. So uh, let's move on to the forwards. And uh, we're going to start with uh, somebody who uh, was honored with a nomination for uh, the Calder Trophy for Rookie of the Year. We, we pretty much had no doubts that he was going to be one of the nominees. He's nominated along with Patrick Laine of the Winnipeg Jets and uh, Wierenski. I mean, what could you ask for from this kid? He, he scores 40 goals. He breaks Wendell Clark's record. He breaks uh, Neil Broughton's record for uh, for goals by an American-born player in their rookie season. And you know what? Honestly, I thought I saw maturation from him towards the end of the season at the beginning I saw a kid who started off with a bang four goals on the opening night of the season uh, which was amazing now we all knew that he wasn't going to get four goals every game even though you know some Leafs fans were 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 thinking highly he went through stretches where he, he he almost looked streaky at times I thought towards the end of the season and in the playoffs he got a lot more consistent I, I don't have the stat in front of me, but I believe he was the only player who recorded a shot in every one of his 82 games this season. The only player, and in the playoffs, he continued that all six games. He got a shot in every game. I, I know that doesn't sound like much to some people, but it really is. You know, to be able to get in a position to have a shot on goal, the best go through slumps where just the puck just doesn't come to them. The puck doesn't find them every game. But that's what makes the better players better than the weaker players as they find a way to get to the puck. Even that being said, Ovechkin, Crosby, Patrick Kane, all of, these guys all had games where they weren't able to get a shot on goal. Austin Matthews did. And let, let's, let's just put that aside for a second. His off-ice, the way he handles interviews, the way he answers questions. Uh, for a 19-year-old kid to have an opening season the way he did, a rookie season the way he did, to score 40 goals, to record almost 70 points, and to just the way he handled everything. And I know, Mike, you've mentioned on other shows that it all started during the rookie camp, uh, the way he was set aside on his own and the reporters just crowded around him, and he and he answered every question back then so easily and, and with so much maturity he's always been mature off the ice. I think towards the end of the season, we started to see um, dominance 
from him. He's got the ability to take advantage of a game, to take a take a game and just and just turn the tide. And the scary part is we are we haven't even seen the best of him. I mean, there's he's 19 years old, guys. I mean, just fantastic. I give him an A. I'm a hard ass. I don't give out A pluses. So I gave him an A. And if there's a little more to that A, as close to as you can get to an A plus without actually jumping over that line to give him an A plus. I think he's the future captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't think it'll be next season. I think it'll be the season after. Um, Babcock answered a question at Locker Cleanout from our friend Kristen Shilton of TSN, who asked, do you think it's important to have a captain next season? And Mike answered with a one-word answer, nope. So I don't think it's going to happen next season, but I think to start the 2018-19 season, Austin Matthews will be the captain of this team. And uh, couldn't ask for more. We saw last night with Colorado how bad the draft lottery can go. And, I mean, they were – how many points worse were they, Ryan, than, than the Leafs were? Leafs had 69 points last season to finish last. I don't even know what, what Colorado ended up with, but it was nowhere close to 69 points. And they end up not getting the first overall pick. And like you said earlier, it would be really pissy if uh, if Austin Matthews was available this season. Joe Sackick would be breaking some stuff right now if if that was the case. So – I give Matthews an A. I I got a feeling A pluses are coming, but I'll let you guys. I'll give I'll give the floor to you guys now. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll push it over that that fine line, buddy. That you were you were creeping up to that <laughs> A plus line. You just just like trot, you can push me over that A plus cliff. <laughs> Whatever, but yeah. So I don't know. What can you say? I mean, really, what can I what can you say about Austin Matthews? What I'm worried about is that we're going to find out like he's going to take a slash. And you're going to see, like, underneath him, like, that Terminator, like, kind of, oh, like, yeah. deal or something. That he's not even a real person, like, that somebody <laughs> built him. At least. He's a cyborg. He's, he's, what, he's like, <laughs> here's what we needed. Listen, we, he's like, they went to the hockey gods and they're like, okay, listen, here's what we've needed for, like, the last 15 years. Look at these suffering bastards here. <laughs> you know what the scary part what that you, you say, too, with? Jude? You know, we've seen... The physical specimen he is. We've seen the kid without a shirt oh. on, and he's built like a brick shithouse. But he's only 19. So, like, oh, he hasn't even developed be. yet into what he's going to be in two, three years. <laughs> oh, he's going to be a bull. He said he's going to work out his explosiveness. Oh, my gosh. He's got that big wingspan. He's just, I don't know, he's something else, man. I mean, really. Just a wonderful specimen player, a cerebral athlete. He's, he's everything. He's everything. He's just, uh, uh, <laughs> he's just a, a leaf angel. It's unbelievable. Yes, and he's, he's ours. That. That's the best thing. Is he's ours. He's a leaf. Yeah, he's he's something else. Man. He really is. I don't know what to. For somebody that said it, they don't have anything to say, I'd probably say it, say it too much. Say, <laughs> I said enough. Uh, you could go on and on. That's that's what I mean. There's just there's too much to say. There's nothing to say because there's too much to say. So unbelievable season, man. Sure, I think he had, had finished the year with 44 goals, I believe, at the. Including playoffs. Including playoffs, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah 40. 40 on the season. And then, yeah, so that's remarkable to, to, to score that much as a 19-year-old. Ryan that's just let me know, too. Ryan, Ryan just let me know, too, that the, the uh, Colorado Avalanche had 48 points this season, 21 less than the Leafs last season, and they didn't get the first overall pick in the draft. Yeah. Wow. If you're Joe Sackett right now, you are pissed. Anyways, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I had a teacher in grammar school who, when, when I – did very well on a test, had put on the grade A++, and then the word greatness. 
That's the grade I would give Austin Matthews. You got because that grade, Mike? Wait a second. You got that grade? I got that grade, yeah. Holy crap. What happened? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But, 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 you know, I mean, honestly, nothing went wrong. Nothing. I mean, okay, the scoreless streak early in the season. He had a drought late in the season before, and he really turned it on down the stretch. And, you know, the first two games uh, in the playoffs, he was – you know, not really a factor, and then he scored four goals in four straight games. You factor in the kid is 19 years old, and you know he scores 40 goals and he dominates. And the high, the highest praise that you could you could give him, uh, Justin Williams, three-time Stanley Cup champion, was interviewed. I think it was on TSN earlier in the week, and he just said, you know, he's a pro. He doesn't chirp on the ice. He's just concentrating on his task and just, you know, he goes to the net. He does everything right on the ice. He does everything right off the ice. He was perfect this year. He, there was no youthful missteps. There was nothing, you know, and and that you couldn't have asked for anything more. I mean, he is going to win the Calder. I got into an argument with somebody on on social media regarding Patrick Line, and they pulled up all these obscure stats. It's like you know, Line had better points per game. And I'm like, okay, uh, let's see, let, let, let's see, goals, assists, points, game winning goals. Uh, eight five eight game winning goals. goals. Ryan just held up eight game winning goals for Austin Matthews. Eight, wait, yeah, give me a freaking break. I, mean, I, I, I have mean, a stat. I have a stat that puts everything in Austin Matthews' favor. Uh, six playoff games. So, you know, from a team that wasn't supposed to make the playoffs, Winnipeg right. was supposed to be in the playoffs uh, by most things that I'd, I'd read. And uh, playing with two veterans, line A, and ended up with a, a more points per game than, than Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews played the whole season with rookies on his line. And, it, and yeah. you know, Hyman for the whole season, and then Brown and, and Nylander kind of uh, shared it on the other side, but it was a rookie line and it was a harder position to play. You know, winger is a lot less responsibility. Um, but, but when it all comes down to it, Austin led his team into the playoffs and scored four goals in six games when he did make the playoffs. So, I mean, and, th- there's and, a stat that doesn't show up in the individual stats, but it means something. And here's, here's the scary thing, Rob. It's like, he is going to get bigger. He's going to get stronger He's going to probably develop a little bit of a snarl because, I mean, right now, you know, he, I don't think he wants to go, you know, toe to toe with, with players, but he's going you know, to, like, like all star players. I mean, Sidney Crosby is a pain in the butt to play against because, you know, he, he gets cheap. He'll slash people. He'll do that because he has to protect himself. Eventually, Matthews will probably have to develop a little bit of that snarl, and that'll be a good thing because, but not a lot of people will try to take advantage of him because he's a bigger player. But all those things are positives. So we're just seeing the beginning, and it's for for a lot of Leaf fans that that's the most exciting thing is that there's no limit to what Austin Matthews could accomplish in the next ten to fifteen years. So you give him an A plus 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 A plus plus greatness. All right, let's move on to uh, to. What mi- was that grade in? Mike? I want to know though before we move on. What was that grade in, Mike? Yeah, what did you get that grade for? It was a social studies. It was a, it was a social studies exam, but of course, uh, my father was a history teacher, so of course, I was greatness in history. Yes, and we we all know <laughs> wow. your social skills, especially when you're talking to Jude, are phenomenal. So, uh, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, Mitch Marner, and I know you're the president of the fan club, Jude. I do want to say something because something came out. Mike let it slip uh, in the uh, locker clearout speech, 
We didn't know this because he, Mitch took a lot of shit towards the end of the season that he wasn't playing the way he was earlier in the season. He'd fallen off and that I saw some really, really bad tweets regarding, oh, he's finally showing what we thought he was. He's too small. He, he had mono. Now, I've known people who've had mono. My stepson had mono a few years back. It beats the shit out of you. It zaps all your energy. He never came out of the lineup. That means something. It really does. It shows the character that Mitchell Marner has. It shows that it wasn't what people thought, that he was just showing his true colors, that he was too small and he's too scared. I, I saw a lot of really, really shitty comments made about him. And I know you probably saw them too, Jude, and probably got into it with a few people about it. But when it came out from Mike Babcock, it, it wasn't even in the, uh, the the locker cleanout. I think he was on TSN Overdrive, and he, he let it slip that Mitch had been battling mono. I mean, you can talk about broken legs. You can talk about... This is completely different because you can still physically walk and you can move, but you don't have the energy that you do when you're healthy. And if people have never had it, you probably don't understand. Search it. Google search it right now. And it's a common... They call it the kissing disease. It's a common thing with younger kids as well. But if you're going to school and they find out you have mono, you're not allowed to go to school. Like, it's contagious and everything. So... I'm sure Mitch was uh, just enjoying himself uh, away from the rink one night, and he ended up catching it. He had an amazing season. I know when we we talked about uh, you know the team selecting players, that there was a lot of things in the media about whether he could handle himself physically. I know Jude, you from the start were adamant that he's going to come in, he's going to contribute. He ended up with a sixty-plus point season. We wrote a song about him, which. You know, people love and and uh, a lot of people have, have found that song even late in the season, the playoffs, because every time he scored, I would tweet it out, and 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 people are still finding it to this day. Um, he's a dynamic player, and I think again, 19 years old, guys, we have not even come close to scratching the surface at what Mitch Marner can achieve. He's dominated at every level, and uh, I think we're going to see that selected by Team Canada to play in the world championships that start uh, next month. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. And uh, we talk a lot about these young players and the chemistry that's going on. Nothing stands out more than when Mitch showed up in that purple suit this season. That was amazing. And I know we had his dad on halfway through the season who, uh, who said he wasn't there when Mitch picked that suit, but uh, he's young, he's stylish and he's uh, fantastic on the ice and, I think we're going to see a lot more out of him, even in his second season. I think, again, 19 years old, and I'm not. I'm not saying he's going to be the biggest player, but his body's still growing. We haven't seen a full development out of him or Austin Matthews or even William Nylander, who's 20. As he gets bigger, he's going to get better. And um, not to say that this season was a disappointment, because I think he had what 60, 61, 62 points. That's a fantastic rookie year for anybody. And when we talk about guys like Marner and Nylander. And even guys like Connor Brown, we'd be talking a lot more about these guys if Austin Matthews wasn't around. We had a bunch of guys who would have been up for Calder consideration, guys like Nylander and Marner, in other years. But because you had Austin Matthews, Patrick Laine, Wierenski, they weren't even, uh, I think, and, and maybe it helped Mitch not having so much spotlight on him because Matthews and Nylander are around, but... I have nothing bad to say. He was fantastic. He's a good kid. And um, I'm so excited. That's the one thing when I talk about this team is that 
Those three rookies, Nylander, Marner, and Matthews, a total combined age of 58. I'm not far behind them alone. You know what I mean? They've got so much growth ahead of them. But anyway, I gave Mitch an A-, minus, just a, a step lower than Austin, and uh, very happy with him. Yeah, you know, uh, right before the shoulder injury, when he went into the boards, he was really coming off, you know, and uh, he was actually, you know, his name was, was getting, was still in that kind of Calder, yep. Calder hunt, and uh, the finish to the year, I mean, uh, nail after the fact, you can kind of explain, you know, because he, he didn't look quite like himself with that same jump or whatever, but he still, you know, I mean, he still acquitted himself fine, but, it, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, it'd be a little easier to see, you know, what was going on or... or and it was a bit of a shame to see how some people jump out, but that's just the story of Mitchell's uh, all the way through. Is the so so this is good. This is just a little more a uh, little more fuel for him, a little more determination. Because I honestly, as great as he was this year and all the super stuff and the sixty points and stuff, I still don't think. You know, I I just can't. I just see the wind like the the ceiling for him is just there is none. You know, I just I just don't know where he's gonna. There's just so much more to come, right? I mean, he can't, he doesn't even shave it. He hasn't had any physical, you know, like he hasn't even gone through that period of becoming a man. Dude, dude, did you hear what happened when one of the reporters asked him about the the (laughs) pressure of growing a playoff beard? And he said, all you got to do is look in the mirror and hope. (laughs) That was awesome to read that. He's 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 laying his his playoff beard on hope. That's what he's. You just gotta pray, man. You gotta pray for it. You gotta hope. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, this, like I said, the sky's the limit, man. Just a great, just a great year. Really happy that to, to see that the you know what you're expecting came kind of came true. And like I said, it's just the beginning, man. It's just the beginning. So yeah, I, I gave Mitchell an A on the season, and he's uh. He's something special, and, and it's only getting going. I gave Marner an A simply because, you know, if you remember at the beginning of the season, and it was not just me, but you know, many people who thought, is he going to be able to withstand the physical pounding of the NHL? And you know, the thing is, is he has that innate ability, like guys like Johnny Goudreau, to avoid. You know, contact. Now, you know, he like he got he got whacked. I think it was first or second game of the series against Washington by Brooks Orpic, and it seemed to throw him off a little bit. But I think if I got hit by Brooks Orpic, it would throw me off. So, you know, I mean, I'll I'll cut him some slack. But mo- for most of the season, he avoided that kind of situation where he was going to get pounded against the boards. You know, he was very slippery. He's got that hockey sense, that IQ, that just enables him to, to miss contact but the, you know the creativity is incredible his his on ice vision is fantastic he gelled well with a couple veteran players and van reamsdyke and and bozak and i think actually you know because most people said that the worst of the four lines during the playoffs was that line was the jvr bozak marner line and i i, I put that more on the veterans than than on on I marner agree. because yeah, and, and 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 the thing is that I thought Marner carried that line and or was the catalyst for that line during the regular season. So, uh, you know, I think the, the sky's the limit. I asked him in the uh, locker closeout on Tuesday, you know, whether the focus this year was going to be on, you know, getting stronger, putting on more muscle mass like last year, and he said, yeah, because 
you know, I don't think you remember all that, all that talk about, you know, how much weight, you know, how much he weighed coming into training camp. And that sort of went by the wayside because I don't think he really gained a lot of weight. I don't think he, he, he worked out. He definitely did. And he was stronger, but I think for him to ascend to a higher level, he's going to have to be uh, a little bigger and a little stronger to be able to withstand the pounding going forward. But you can't, criticized the year he had he's a supreme talent so i gave him an a well you talked about his line mates so let's move on to those two guys because um let's look back to phil kessel's last season with the toronto maple Leafs, and the line along with phil kessel on it rather than mitch marner was a combined uh minus 103 i believe as much as i enjoyed this season i i kind of feel like you said that the two veterans kind of let Mitch down in a defensive situation. I saw a tweet from somebody um, last week, I believe, that said, don't trade Bozak, but move Nylander to center, which Babcock has said he's not going to do now. Move Nylander to center and have Bozak in as your Brian Boyle type player. I don't think Tyler Bozak has the defensive capabilities to play that fourth line shutdown center role. That's the one thing that, really always pisses me off and it's not every game with JVR and Bozak especially when you put them on a line with a guy who works hard on both sides of the ice on the whole ice like Mitch does is their propensity to not want to play defensive hockey JVR is hands down one of the best players in the NHL if you give him the puck right in close right on the doorstep of the goaltender I won't debate that with anybody because he's fantastic and he scored some big goals for the Leafs. But when the puck's in our own zone and it gets rattled around the boards, JVR is constantly out of position and he seems to be late getting over to his the defenseman that's on his side more than on the other lines. I, I see a lot of... Uh, they're playing their own zone. There was a game, and I can't remember what game it was. It was one of the games. It might have been the final game, actually, against Washington, where Babcock put that line out with about a minute left, a minute and 30 left. And I, again, my wife doesn't know anything about hockey, but I turned to her and I'm like, the wrong line's out there. You're 1-1. Don't do this. And he had them out there. And I, and that's not a slight against Mitch. That's a slight against Van Riemsdyk and Bozak. Bozak, great on the draw, and the Leafs use that to their advantage in a lot of cases. But it just that, that line gets in a lot of trouble inside their own blue line. And I don't know why that is. But like I said, it happened before Mitch joined that line. It happened when Kessel was on that line. So you can't, as much as people want to default Kessel for it, it it's it, the same thing is happening with a different winger on that line. I gave James Van Riemsdyk a B. I almost gave him a B plus. But I, I don't like the defensive side of his game. I think the Leafs are in a situation now where they have to make a decision on James. He's probably, for a team in contention like, like Anaheim, who has a, an influx of young defensemen, I think the Leafs are going to be talking, and they have, a, a even recently, a history of dealing with Bob Murray uh, and Anaheim. I think discussions have probably happened between Anaheim and Toronto about James Van Riemsdyk, it didn't happen. But I think the Leafs are going to have to consider it in the offseason if they want to bring in some defensive help. And Anaheim's one of those teams that has a lot of young talent on the defense. The Leafs have one more season with JVR at 4.2. Uh, 
He's going to want more than that. I'd love to keep him around if you could get him on a bargain deal because he's money when it comes to uh, being in and around the net. But you got to make decisions. You got guys like Kasperi Kapan, and you got a bunch of young kids coming in from the juniors into the Marlies. You've got some kids on the Marlies now, like Leipzig and Kirby Reichel, who need to be fit into the lineup. I, I expect the Leafs to lose either Leipzig, Josh Levo, or Kirby Reichel in the expansion draft. I think one of those guys is going to go if I could put money on it right now. So I think James Van Riesdijk needs to be looked at if the chance comes to move him for a defenseman in the offseason. I think it's going to happen. I give him a B only because I think his uh, attention to defensive detail is not always there. Um, close to a B plus, but only a B. Well, I mean, I think what we've learned about Bozak is, is that uh, he's is more of a he's of an offensive player. I think he's been we've always kind of had him in that a different kind of mentality about him, but I think he's almost an offensive specialist even. By the way, I also gave I also gave Bozak a B, so I'll let you guys talk about both of them. So B's for each of them. Yeah, yeah, right on. I was going to do the same, just kind of couple them together because really they have been partnered together, and it's, and it's kind of the same same issues with both, and the same things you like about both each of them as they do. You know, they can produce, and and uh, but uh, JVR, I think at times once the once the other team gains the zone and gets set up, he's almost like one of those uh, stick hockey guys. You know, mm-hmm. like the, yeah, the late, and, yeah. He just you can only go in certain, and he's, he's almost stationary. He just moves the stick around like there's no effort to get to the. He's like, okay, here's I'm in my spot. I'm doing my job. I'm covering the point. But there's more to it than that. You can't just wave your stick at guys. Take an extra two steps and pinch the guy off and slam the winger into the board and get the puck or, or like. And that's the thing with Van Reen's like he does he does good things, uh, but it it gets washed away when you when you when you watch that stuff right when you when you see that. In zone coverage, and that's why, and it affected Mitchell, I think, because of that line couldn't be put out in certain situations and certain, you know, it was just hard to hard to trust at all times because, you know, once the once the other team gains possession, they can't get it back, right? They can't yeah. retrieve the puck. But they did produce well. They had a pretty good year, so I'll give them both the B minuses. Um. That might be a little harsh, but I just—that's ah, just that you know what I mean. It's just that aspect of it, that they—they just can't be trusted to be out there when you need them, right? And I think that's going to affect Tyler as he gets older, because you know guys who are good in the circle, if they can show a, a good defensive side of their game, their shelf yeah. life increases, right? Where they could be come in yeah, and be sure. that Brian Boyle type of guy who, yeah, he's got offensive talent, he can win some draws, but he's also defensively responsible. And I don't think Bozak has shown that the ability to be that that fourth line 32 year old guy who comes in he's either on one of the scoring lines or he's not and that's too bad because he's going to have to be a little bit more committed defensively if he's going to want to play until he's 35 years old and he's already there isn't he is he 30 now 31 30 30 yeah uh, 30 so. I think 31. 30, 31. And to be yeah. fair with Tyler, too, there's a, a lot of – he apparently was playing on a bad back all year. Yeah. He, was, he was sitting yeah. on some kind of cushion yeah. on the bench. People who were at the games yeah. could see it. He was sitting on a cushion, which uh, – Yeah, and he had, I mean, he had some good moments, too, right? I mean, he had some big goals. Yeah. He had some yeah. big plays. And, you know, like, 
Yeah, they got the over, the overtime goal in one of the games in Washington, and and, and I'm not bashing these guys. I'm just saying that the defense, no, for sure. Like yeah. like you said with with JVR, uh, you almost echoed what I said. Where the puck comes around on his side, he's not getting to it. Whereas a guy like Leo Komarov, if he doesn't get to it, he's probably going to skate right through the defenseman to to try yeah. and to try and you know. Okay, well, I, yeah. I I'm a little late, but I'm going to get on you and I'm going to try and you know block it. Whereas JVR would go in like he was killing a penalty. And you can't do that yeah. on even strength because yeah. all you're doing is causing exactly. a screen for your goalie. Mike? All right. I gave both Van Riemsdyk and Bozak B-pluses because you can't expect players to be something that they're not. And, you know, Van Riemsdyk, right. well, one, of the, one of the things about Van Riemsdyk when he was traded from Philadelphia to Toronto is they traded him because he is a big player who doesn't play like, like a big player. And he doesn't play like a big player. He's a six foot three skilled forward. And, you know, he pretty much did that this year. I mean, he, how many times did he set up at the side of the net on the power play and use that move where, you know, he, you know, he'll, he'll roof it or, I mean, he just, he sets up shop on the power play and he's going to score goals there no matter what. And he was third on this team in goal scoring with 29 goals. You know, the potential move of Van Riemsdyk out has nothing to do with his talent. It has everything to do with the fact that, you know, if they can't get him on an extension, that's a reasonable amount, sort of like Riley and Kadri took last year, then he's either going to get traded now or get traded at the, de- at the deadline, and it's where you can get the most. And I, I think they can get the most over the summer. They've got a lot of wingers in the organization, some of them ready to move up. And how do you, you know, trade a guy? And how do you tra- trade a guy like James Van Reems, like? If you're once again in the thick of a playoff spot on March 1st, you know how do you do that? You That's do why it now. You trade him in the summer. Yeah, exactly. That's why you trade him in the summer. It, it's easier for teams to fit that 4.2 into your salary cap in July rather than, you know, right? Or the, or the, or the Leafs could eat money at the deadline and make it make him more palatable. I mean, they could they could do that as well. You know, retain 50 percent of the salary. But that being said, I mean. If the Leafs take a step backward next year, you know, sophomore slumps and things of that nature, if they if they don't make the playoffs next year, you know, then they can trade Van Riemsdyk, no problem in, in a sense that you know they they wouldn't be in the in the midst of a playoff race now. I you know not to think pessimistically, but that's always a possibility. But I, I think he's going to be traded over the summer. There there's too many wingers on the Marlies. You know, the only thing I'm a little skeptical about is that they're a little weak offensively on the left side. I'm not sure if Kapanen can make the move from right wing to left wing. He's primarily played right wing, so they would be opening themselves up a little bit to not having a lot of offense on the left side. But I, I you know, unless he takes that sweetheart deal, I don't think that they're going to risk going into the season with him and entering the final year of his deal and losing him for nothing in free agency. So I, but he had a very good year, but I just think, you know, his defensive shortcomings and his lack of, you know, physical uh, play is just, just par for the course. That's just the player that he is. Bozak, you know, people got to remember, Bozak was an unsigned free agent, an unsigned college free agent. Yeah. yeah he wasn't a, he wasn't a first round pick. So, you know, he's not six foot three, you know, he, he can't play that fourth, fourth line shut down center role because he's not big enough um he's good in, good in the faceoffs, but you know he's he's basically a number two number three center good playmaking ability not great speed but adequate speed he is what he is i think he had a good year i think he, him 
playing with Marner and and the Van Riemsdyk, that was a good line for most of the season. I think you know having Bozak on that line helped Marner grow. But again, entering the final year, I think the thing that keeps Bozak in Toronto is the fact that that Mike Babcock is not ready to put William Neal under its center, and. It's it's William Nylander will not play center until he signs his new contract because they would have to pay him more if they move him to center and he has a big year like he did this year. I think that's that that is the primary motivation. They keep him on the wing for another year, and even if he has a big year, he's a winger. The price point for a winger after two good years is a lot less expensive than a price point of a number two center or number three center who scores 60 or 70 points. That's one, I think, the, one of the main reasons why they're not going to move Nealander to the middle until next year. Some food for so thought can... when thinking about the James Van Riemsdyk situation too here, guys. And it was something that came into my head about a week ago. I started thinking about it. So the expansion draft is coming up. The Leafs can protect uh, seven forwards, three defensemen, and one goalie unless they decide to just go with eight players regardless of position. So there's a, a lot of people like like myself who think that they're going to lose either Kirby Reichel, Josh Levo, or Brendan Leipzig. Reichel scares me because I think the way he plays and with the aggressiveness and he's got the ability to score a few goals. He played in the All-Star game in the AHL. I don't think they want to leave him exposed. Um, right now, the way things look, and I don't have it all in front of me, but Ren Reemsdyke would be one of the guys they'd want to protect. The defenseman, they, Nikita Zaitsev is exempt. So you get three defensemen, Riley, Gardner. Those are the two that you're going to protect for sure. We've always thought Connor Carrick was going to be that third guy. So if Lou is able to pull the trigger on a trade before the expansion draft for James Rand Reemsdyke and bring in a defenseman who needs to be protected, then you use that third spot on the defenseman to go along with Riley and Gardner, and whether it's a, a Truba or a Cam Fowler. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not going to speculate because we don't know who's available and who isn't or who wants James Van Riemsdyk, for that matter, or whether James Van Riemsdyk has them on his no-trade list. Whatever, there's a lot to think about. But then that opens up an extra forward spot to be able to protect a guy like Kirby Reichel or Josh Levo, whoever they find more valuable. And then... That takes care of things before, I think, what, June 25th or whatever when the expansion draft is. That's something to think about as well. Right now, I think a lot of Lou's thought right now, he's sitting and thinking, what am I going to do? Who am I protecting for that expansion draft? And right now, that third defenseman spot is kind of, you know, like, yeah. is Connor Carrick good enough to want to protect in an expansion draft? I don't know, not after what we saw this season. So all of a sudden, if you're able to turn... James Van Riemsdyk over for someone that you would want to protect in that third defense spot, then you open up a forward spot and then you could get somebody like a Kirby Reichel in there and not leave him exposed. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. It's going to be interesting because we're, uh, we're only about, you know, seven weeks away from the expansion draft, six weeks away. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of maneuvering Lou does, because right now I think that that third defense spot is expendable. There's not really anybody worth putting in that spot right now. Rob, I, I think that uh, barring that kind of move, what you're going to see end up happening is the Leafs trading a guy like Levo, who, i got to remember, Levo was a Burke Nonis draft pick. And this organization, you know, when it comes to moving somebody, they're going to move somebody that they 
inherited, not somebody they acquired. So I could see them trade Levo to to Vegas uh, to get Vegas to take Eric Fair as their expansion pick, and that's yeah. the way things would work. And that would protect, you know, if they had to expose Matt Martin or Komarov or whatever because of that two, uh, the two forward exposure uh, uh, limit that you have to meet. Um, that would protect them as well. So I, I think that's the, the course of action. But I think you make a good point that, you know, if they do move, move JVR, they could move them in that window in between the, the Stanley Cup final and the expansion yeah. draft before the draft because, really, they have an open spot on defense. But the thing is that there are so many teams out there that are going to be pursuing defense that, you know, you're probably talking about getting – not a top pairing guy for a JVR with one year left. You're talking about getting a three, four, five type of guy. If it's Anaheim, you're talking about getting Josh Manson, and you're not talking about getting, you know, Montour, Theodore, or any of the th- big three that they have. So yeah. that's the reality. Uh, that you know, because he only has one year left, that you're probably not going to get as much. That's why I was sort of advocating, and it it didn't come to fruition because they were in a co- in competition for a playoff spot. That's why I was advocating trading. JBR at the deadline because you get a playoff and another year. But, you know, that is what it is. Well, the quicker the uh, Oilers dispose of the Ducks, the more likely the Ducks will want to make changes. So let's keep uh, cheering for them. Uh, William Nylander, there's a guy who, at the beginning of the season, he st- let's face it, he started slow. You know, he we always knew what we had in William Nylander. We got some really, uh, I guess, uh, not well like takes from some of the people in the mainstream media. There was a lot of anger from some people who didn't like some of the comments that were made by some mainstream media members. However, there was that benching from Mike Babcock. Well, we shouldn't call it a benching. There was that mysterious one-game injury that happened to William Nylander uh, before Christmas. He was fine the very next game. We never really found out what it was that ailed him. We remarked on this show that it might have been a message being sent by Mike Babcock. I think we saw a lot of growth from William Nylander towards the end of the season. I thought he had a really good series against Washington. I saw a lot of chemistry develop between him and Austin Matthews, and uh, I uh, I give him an A minus. I I got him and Mitch both at an A minus, just a step down from Austin. And honestly, I'm very hesitant. I know the Leafs need to pick up a a, a young defenseman. I'm very hesitant to part with him. And I know there's some people that are like, there's no friggin' way we're getting rid of William Nylander, but I, I know yeah, you got to give up quality to get quality. I prefer to see William Nylander here for a very long time. And uh, I, I was very impressed with the maturity and the growth of William Nylander by the end of the season. A- minus for me. Yeah, I'll just piggyback that with the same type of feeling. And, uh, you know, I actually, uh, I actually gave him an A. And I had the same sort of, you know, skepticism, and not skepticism, but comments about Nylander early on. I just thought it was a really something to see him develop. And, and uh, you know, he really, um, you know, some people are probably listening to that and saying, ah, oh, you know, he all developed what he's talking about. He always was, you know, you know, nothing changed. But, no, some things did change. He, you know, he, he got more engaged. And, and, uh, and I thought his skills really... Um, as much as we know how skilled he is, I thought it really came out uh, as as we went on. And uh, he just had a, he had a fantastic season. He's so dangerous. Uh, he's got the puck, and you want a guy like him 
You need you need weapons, and even though we've got we've got other weapons, if if without him, it, it's just not quite the same. We're just not quite. We just don't have that element of danger, right? But you can spread out throughout the whole lineup, and whether he's with Matthews or as you're going forward, if he's on another line, he's just a, and, he, and he's so good on a power play, and power plays are so important. So there you go. I gave him an A. I gave him an A minus. I mean, I thought you know the, the one. The concerns early in the year about the sort of like the lack of motor at certain points. I think that as the season went along, that sort of disappeared. I mean, he, you know, was never taken off the the Matthews line in the second half of the season. There were no more fourth line assignments. You know, he seemed to get it that he has to play with a certain amount of energy. I mean, there are things that that Neilander needs to improve. I think he needs to get a, get stronger, especially with the likely move to center in the next year. And I think that's when his true potential will be realized because you put a you put a top three of Matthews, Nylander, Kadri as, as your number, your, up the middle as your three centers. I mean, going forward two or three years down the line, that's, that's potentially championship caliber. And I, I think, you know, he's got to be more aware defensively. You know, we, we know he's got the, the great vision. We know he's got the, the shot and, and the speed. If he rounds things out, and, and and Babcock trusted him more than Matthews in faceoffs during the playoffs because he's stronger uh, on faceoffs than Matthews is. That's something that Matthews has to improve. But I think Neander, all in all, had a pretty pretty good year, and uh, you know, uh, so A minus. I'm gonna let you start this one, Mike, because I know he's your favorite player. Jude is the president of the Mitch Marner fan club. You are the president of the Nazem Kadri. <laughs> fan club mm-hmm. so i'll let you start this one i've kind of hogged the initial rating thing so let's take it in a different direction here nazim kadri uh so i'm sure i'm gonna shock both of you i gave him an a i mean 32 goals as a checking shutdown center i mean you know in the first year of a very economical uh six-year contract making four and a half million dollars i mean you could make the argument that he is at his highest value right now, so this would be the time to trade him. And, you know, I can listen to that argument, but I don't think Mike Babcock would hear it. You know, to him, Kadri is just below Matthews and maybe Anderson is the most important guy on this team for him because, you know, he matches him up against Backstrom in the playoffs or matches him up against Crosby down in the last game or you know, the famous thing with Connor McDavid matching him up against him. It was a great season. He still, every once in a while, will do something brain crampish. But it, I think Babcock has really had an effect on Kadri, and Kadri really embraced the shutdown role. He loves being an annoying rat, and as a shutdown center, that works. I mean, if, to get underneath the skin of a number one center is one way to throw him off his game, and Kadri does that as good as everyone, and he actually lowered – his uh, diving exploits a bit this year because, it, you know, and then and that's good because it, honestly, I think the he, he's not good at it. I mean, he's good at drawing penalties, but he's not good at uh, diving and making it look convincing. And it's actually embarrassing sometimes to his teammates to do stuff like that. So it's good that he got away from it. But yeah, well, it was nice no- to see when he went down in the playoffs there from a supposed uh, slash to the arm from Ovechkin. And then when you got a different angle of it, he actually took a slash in the leg from Niskanen at the same time, but <laughs> yeah. no one actually saw it. Everyone jumped on him and said, oh, my God, he's, he dove again. What the hell? But he took a really good slash to the leg from Matty Niskanen. 
So right. there was a second second shooter in that one. Exactly. Now you know what? I don't think honestly, like we love the just dirty rat like little. You got to have those players on your team, and and unfortunately, sure. I think I don't think you can have that without the stupid brain freezes that he has sometimes, where he'll punch a guy in the face in the middle of a playoff series when you're down a goal or up a goal. And I jumped on him for it at one point in the playoffs. He did something. I can't remember what's retaliatory penalty. But I think you can't have that greasy attitude yeah. that he does and not have the stupidness. It's like Marchand, right? Mar- Brad Marchand yeah. is a, a guy who you hate him, and he's greasy. He's a great player, though, but he's always going to have those stupid things. And he did it to the guy in Columbus right before the playoffs and ended up getting two games for it. You're, you're going to get that out of those players. And honestly, I don't think... Nazem Kadri is at his best unless he's playing with that greasy, you know, rat-like attitude on him. And I think he's mastered that. I think he's become more of a complete player than he was in prior seasons. I think he's finally given up on the fact that I'm not John Tavares. I think I think he's finally realized I'm not John Tavares. And I think that's what helped him. Having guys like Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews and William Nylander in here, it kind of reduced his role. And, and took the spotlight off him where he didn't have to be that number one center anymore. And Babcock said, listen, I need you to be greasy. I need you to shut down the other teams. I'm going to put you on a line with Leo Komarov, who's a, a same type of player as you, a player that other teams will run around and want to get. And we saw a little bit of that in the playoffs. And I've never been a Nazem Kadri fan, but I give him an A-. minus. I think he had a great season. 32 goals is nothing to you know, to sniff at from anybody. But as you said, Mike, to play that in a defensive role and to be that rat and to score 32 goals, I think he just needed to have some people around him. And I know he had that one-on-one with Mike Babcock where Mike says, I need you to be this. And he played it to a T. The least played the Edmonton Oilers twice, and he did a perfect job of shutting Connor McDavid down in both of those games. And I still remember one time where he, I guess he gave... McDavid a nudge and McDavid had this smile on his face like you don't bother me but it was one of those smiles where you know it's bothering me you know and uh, <laughs> I, I, I I still remember that facial expression it was almost as it was almost like the smile he had when Edmonton drafted him <laughs> and he knew he wasn't going to be a leaf that kind of yeah yeah I'm happy no I'm not I'm fucking pissed mm-hmm. and I think that's what ended up happening that day Nazem Kadri gets an A- minus for me only because I can't give him an A because Aston Matthews got the only A. So, but great job from Naz, and I see him as a big part of this team, especially at the 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 number they got him at for the next four years. Just fantastic number to get the guy like that for under five million. Fantastic. Yeah, it's one of the best contracts in the league. <laughs> I mean, if he keeps this up, right? And I don't really see any reason that he won't. And uh, maybe even there's even more development. I still think that Nazem Kadri, and I've heard Bat, uh, Babcock say this, but he can still work on his physical, uh, you know, aspect. I think he can get a little, he can get a little stronger, even a little, little quicker. But that's the, I'm not that's not any knock on Nazem Kadri or anything. I just think he's he's you know he's shown improvement, so there's no reason that he can't keep improving. I'm not expecting you know uh, any crazy high ceiling like you said. He's not. He's realized. He's not Tavares. He's he's accepted his role, and I think more than anything, that's what has caused his success is uh, his acceptance of his role and his acceptance of being a man. Uh, quite frankly, uh, he's he's grown up, and he, I think he's a uh, I think he leads on the ice now. Um, 
You know, he's a he's a smarter player than people realize as well as far as being a center. He really knows the position. He's if you watch him, he's rarely on the wrong side of the puck. Like he does those kind of things right. You know, he gets down deep and, and uh you know, he helps coming out. He's he's a pretty darn good center. You know, and that's He's gotten really better. He's gotten better in the circle lately too. Eh? He wasn't very good and on the he, draws he, in other he years. He hangs in there. I mean, he, and he hangs in there on the draw, you know. And uh, so he's, he's a pretty good player. I mean, what, what he brings, it's hard to find. And and uh, I got to credit Lou and Babcock and those guys because when they cleaned house, you know, instead of cleaning house with him and, and Shanahan, you know, it's, when they suspended them, I really thought that as a sign that they must see something in him because otherwise they would have just not did anything and then tried to move them, right? Yeah. Because by suspending them, you're sending up a red flag to the whole league and it's just, it's going to be much more difficult to move somebody with baggage and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so he returned the favor. What more can you say? I think he's, he's finally uh, grown up and, and it's been a, a, a process. And, and, I, and as much off the ice as a player on the ice, he's, he's grown up and he's, he's a, he's a competitor out there. He's, he's fierce. He wants to win. And, and, uh, I really, I really, I've come to like Nazem Kadri, and I gave him an A. Leo Komarov, his line mate, this is a guy who I think is one of the most underappreciated guys from Leafs fans. He kills penalties. He's your top penalty killer. He uh, he scores a few goals. He hits. He plays physical, and he's uh, you know the the kind of player that the other teams always hate. I see Leo, even though he's getting up there in age, getting in the late twenties now. I see him as being one of those guys that's going to be around for this team's. Uh, leap into uh playoff contender and eventual Stanley Cup contender. I don't think they've got any intentions of leaving him unexposed unless there's a deal in the works like Mike mentioned. I give Leo an A minus only because you need those players. And I know there's people that were disappointed because he didn't come close to the twenty goals this year, but uh he didn't have to this year. They had so much more effort he didn't get that time That's that he point. that that he got. He contributed in other ways that were just as valuable. A minus for Leo. Yeah, I'll give him a good solid B plus. I just think he's uh, Babcock. Like you said, that he's going to be around for a while. And I think that Babcock will want him around for a while. Nazem Kadri's success that you can uh, obtain a lot of that to Leo Kamara because the two of them, you know, can Kadri play that shutdown role and be that guy without Leo Kamara there with him? I'm not quite so sure. I think they complement each other very well. Uh, they're both, you know, tough to play against. But Leo on his own, excellent penalty killer, excellent skater. And very strong in the skates. He's got that big lower body, got that big ass, right? Like he, he uh, really angles guys well. He's a tough in the neutral zone. He's a heck of a. I mean, to for guys to break in, you know, he's always a puck pursuit, a good four checker. He's just a just an all around good player. Uh, was good in the playoffs. Like to see him hang around. So you know, we got a lot of wingers, and there's going to be guys trying to push him out. But I think I don't think Leo is. Uh, He's not getting exposed. He's not getting exposed anyway. <laughs> I, can tell. I promise you that. Not giving him away for free, that's for sure. <laughs> no. Uh, I give Kamarov a B plus. A solid season. He's a he's a leader. He's popular in the, in the dressing room. Fourteen goals. So you know he sort of followed up the year, the surprising offensive year last year, with a pretty decent season. You know played well with with Kadri in in, in that checking shutdown role and is a pain in the butt to play against, which is, you know, the type of game I love. You know, the only thing I'm concerned about is, you know, as he gets older, the speed will start to drop a bit. And I think that, you know, he's got a year left in his contract. I think they'll want to bring him back. 
may, you know, after next year. And, you know, he probably would fit well as, as things go along to playing a sort of a fourth line role because yeah, I think, you know, you want that fourth line to be an energy line and to be a checking line and to be, uh, something that, uh, will, aggravate the year opposition and Comroff fits into that so I think he had a very solid year in B plus Zach Hyman another guy who's kind of underappreciated and I think it was more the role that he played uh Mike Babcock wanted him with Austin Matthews and I I you know look on Twitter and there's people that just want to you know hate that decision maybe that's something that won't happen in the future maybe Zach Hyman isn't a first line player and he probably isn't but he's always going to have a spot on my hockey team. He's always the first guy in. He's always the guy right on. He's another guy that could fit that fourth line role down the road when more talent is brought in, I guess. But Babcock likes those diggers, and he likes to put them with the skilled players to get them to kind of do the work on the line. Uh, you know, he's always uh, the first guy in on the four check. He's always aggressive. And I know if I'm an opposing defenseman, and I'm out on the ice with Zach Hyman. I know when I go back for that puck that Zach Hyman's going to be in my face and up my keister. It's it's what's going to happen. Um, would I like to see more offense from him? Damn right I would. I, I think when you're playing with two players like Austin Matthews and William Nealander, you expect more than single-digit goals out of him. I think there's room for growth there with Zach, though. And if not, he's still, like you said, he kills penalties. He's he's always going to have a place on my Toronto Maple Leafs team. He is a free agent. They're going to have to level up with him in the uh, in the summer. But from what I understand, he likes it with Toronto. And one of those kids like, like Mitch Marner, who you can find it, just look on Google, you'll find him as a, a single-digit kid wearing a Maple Leafs jersey. He's always wanted to be a Maple Leaf, and I think, uh, I think they want him to be a Maple Leaf. So I gave him a B. Um, like I said, I don't know what his role will be down the line, but I think there'll be a spot here because I think Mike likes him. No, oh, absolutely. I think that time is important to your team, like a, uh, in so many ways, because he's a, he's a guy that you have want the other players to emulate their work ethic. And and believe, believe it or not, when guys are on the team are like that, it's uh, it's contagious to the others because they set an example. And if if he's working that hard, you have to work that hard, and and, and he does that shift in, shift out. So putting them with Matthews, I mean, it could be as much mental as anything as it is on ice. And maybe, uh, you know, to ma- a guy to get Matthews' engine going all the time. Hyman, that's, you know, to, to keep them keep them pressing forward because that's what he brings. He's an excellent penalty killer. Babcock said he's one of the best four checkers in the league. Yes, he he is. A big frame. I could see him scoring more goals in the future too mm-hmm. when he's a little more comfortable. He's probably never going to be the, the smoothest uh, with the puck or, or or whatever, but I think he's, he has potential to put the puck in the net. And uh, a long-term leaf, I would have, I would have to think, um, a really good season because it's not all about uh, scoring goals. You know, it's about making room on the ice and uh, and stuff. Will he be with Austin all the time? Like you said, I, I'm not so sure. Um, but wherever he's at in the lineup, I, you know, I'm fine with Zach Hyman, and uh, I gave him a good, good solid beat. Uh, B plus for me on Hyman simply because he is the energizer bunny. He just keeps going and going and going. And it, I think Babcock really appreciates that. I think he likes that defensive aspect that he provides. You know, he's a great penalty killer, but I also think that he keeps him with Matthews. Like he, he used Hyman in Toronto, like he used Luke Glenn Denning in Detroit. He likes that digger, that 
that guy along the boards to play with skilled guys to get the pucks so the skilled guys don't have to go along the wall and 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 potentially get hurt doing that kind of dirty work. And you know, Hyman, he's effective along the wall. He's effective at annoying people. He's he's fast. He's annoying to play against. And all those things are positives. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be any more than a 15 goal scorer, but I think that, you know, they have enough offense throughout the lineup that they can afford to put Hyman with Matthews. And whoever Matthews plays on the right side, whether it's Nealander or maybe down the line when they move Nealander to center, maybe a guy like Jeremy Bracco, you're always going to need somebody to dig the puck out and get it to the skill guy. So I give a B plus to Zach Hyman. Connor Brown. This is a guy, 20 goals in his rookie season. If there was nobody named Matthews, Marner, or Nylander, we'd be talking about how great this rookie is. We still have a lot of people who are positive about him. He's a guy that at every level he's been told, you're not good enough. So he responds with you know, winning the OHL scoring title. Um, and then he comes into the uh, AHL for the first time and uh, leads the Marlies in scoring uh, and goes to the All-Star game. You want Connor Brown to prove you wrong, just you know, tell him he can't do something and he'll prove you wrong. And he's doing it at the NHL level now. And uh, just a fantastic season by this kid. A good kid, works hard, very similar to Zach Hyman with a bit more offensive touch. Connor Brown gets a strong B from me as well. To me, Connor Brown gets an A-. minus. I mean, he not only uh, played more of a defensive role than I ever thought he would be capable of playing. And you got to remember, this is a guy who, you know, in, in the OHL, he was minus 73. Uh, <laughs> when he, when he, when he was, when he started out with the Marlies, he, you know, he had the offensive ability, but the strength was not there. And I still go back to that, that three month uh, gap when he broke his ankle or foot and he basically got a lot stronger working on his upper body. And he's been a different player since. And, you know, he's, the guy scored 20 goals, and he's got the offensive ability, but he has earned the respect of Babcock because he's tenacious defensively. So, I, you know, better than expected rookie season from Connor Brown, um, so I give him an A-. minus. Yeah, Connor Brown, what can you say? I mean, he uh, another guy that emulates everything that the Leafs are trying to represent as far as hard work, team guy, uh, you know, do everything – to win everything that, that that you can out there. Tenacious, score check, smart, and like you said, 20 goals. So uh, I'll give Connor, Connor Brown a B-plus. I was teetering on the A's. I have 20 goals. Hard not to give him an A, but I gave him a B-plus. I just I just really like Connor Brown as a just without knowing him personally. I'll already say I like him as a person. You know, you just you, you can tell he's one of those guys. And uh, another guy I look forward to being in the Leafs uniform for a long, long time. Yeah, good solid B-plus again. Jude, I'll let you lead off on this one. Matt Martin. Well, Matt Martin, yeah, I'm glad you did because um, there's lots of discussions about Martin and his contract and, 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 and where he fits and should he be scratched and, and everything. But I don't know. Could you really ask for more out of that fourth-line guy? I mean, I think what the Leafs did is they recognized that Look, we are softish, and we're going to be young, and we're going to need some sort of guy to kind of play a, a role that's that's maybe becoming a little bit extinct, but but a variation of that 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 tough guy role, and still take a regular shift. Matt Martin doesn't hurt you when he's on the ice. 
Matt Martin lays the body. Matt Martin did make everyone feel comfortable. He's a good teammate, a good guy. He's in it, like I said, he's in kind of a throwback role, but I also heard, well, you can just go get a guy, you know, like, and pay him league minimum to get. No, the Leafs wanted the guy that's best at this. There's not many guys suited to do what he's doing right now. There's not that many guys left who can do it. So you got to, you know, they had to pay to bring him in. I, I'm really happy that Matt Mart was a part of the team. I would like to see him bang in a few more goals because I think, you know, uh, mm-hmm. he's got that in him, like, to score a little bit, right? And, and I would have liked to see a little more threatening because he's got a decent shot. And so I would have liked to see a little more ability with the puck. Uh, I was kind of expecting maybe a little more in that regard. But I'd still give him a, a B- minus for Matt Martin in it, but uh, A-plus for teammate. Yeah, I'm going to go with a B minus as well. And uh, the only reason is I I would like to see a little more offense from him. He uh, that's something we expected a little more from him. But uh, I think you needed that, and I think it all started last season after a game in Buffalo when uh, Mike Babcock said uh, we got pushed around tonight, and uh, we're going to do everything we can in the summer to make sure that doesn't happen next season. And they brought in Matt Martin, and I think he did a really good role. I know there's a lot of people that think that that part of the game is Neanderthal. But when you've got a bunch of kids who are playing in this league, and I mean a bunch of kids who are playing in this league for the first time and are, are kind of getting their feet wet at the speed and the aggressiveness of the NHL, having a guy like Matt Martin around. And I, and I think one thing that we need to touch on as well is not only his on-ice performance, but he is a leader in that dressing room among, among these young guys. We've all seen his camaraderie with... Uh, almost a father-son relationship with Mitch Marner, the smelling salts thing and the handshake thing as the Leafs take to the ice uh, before every game. Um, Matt Martin was a good guy to have around, and we hear Babcock talk all the time about how he wants, uh, you know, changing the culture in the dressing room and, and, and he wants good people. Matt Martin's a good person, and regardless of the role that he plays uh, on the ice where he's mean and, and, you know, has to get in the other team's face, he is a leader around this dressing room. He's well liked, and uh, you got to have guys like that around veterans. So, I give him also a B minus. Uh, I give him a B minus too. And the thing is, it, it can't be understated that the Leafs roster, with the exception of Matt Martin and Roman Polak, was not tough and was not very big. I mean, you have big players like Austin Matthews, but Austin Matthews is 19 years old and doesn't play big in the sense that he plays aggressive. James Van Riemsdyk is a big player, but he doesn't really play that type of game. And guys like Kamaroff and Kadri aren't big, but they play bigger than they than they actually are. I think you needed that fear factor that you know Matt Martin provided this year more than any year uh, to protect those kids. And I think at times that's that was you know he he did that role very well. Now with Polak possibly leaving or them not re-signing him, you know, and I'm sure the Leafs are going to try to get bigger and tougher on defense because you need that aspect of the game if you want to succeed in the playoffs. And they may want more goals out of Matt Martin, more than five goals, but I think, you know, his place on this team is etched in stone because, you know, they need that aspect. They need that leadership. They need that toughness. They need that camaraderie. And I think that, you know, he provided that, and he will be an integral part of this team when they take the next step forward. Mike, I'm going to let you lead off on this one because I know that you were kind of critical on the, the trade that Lou Lamarillo made at the deadline where he brought in Brian Boyle and gave up a second-round pick. Um, mm-hmm. Have you softened on that at, at all? Uh, well, okay, Brian Boyle, there's no 
criticizing Brian Boyle in the sense of the type of player he is. I mean, he's a defensive center. He's a big body. He can kill penalties. He can win faceoffs. I mean, that's all. That's that is you know he is what he is, and I was more critical of the fact that the Leafs made that deal strictly to make the playoffs because I just didn't think giving up a second round pick at that point was beneficial to the long term goal. Now you know they got they got in the playoffs. They it was a learning experience and Boyle helped them, but you know he only had three assists in 21 games. He didn't really contribute a ton you know, in terms of scoring, but he did in terms of leadership and in terms of that veteran perspective. He seemed willing to come back uh, when the media talked to him at locker cleanout on Tuesday, but it's going to depend on what kind of offer he gets and what kind of offers he gets from other teams. You know, at 32 years old, or he'll be yeah, 33 in December, uh, I'm not sure the Leafs would offer him anything more than a one-year deal. You know, they have Freddie Gauthier coming up, and I don't know if they think that Freddie Gauthier is ready to take on that fourth-line center role. But the, th- the thing is, is that you gave up a second-round pick for a rental. And that was my main problem. Not Boyle, the player, but what they did. To grade him, I'd give him a C plus. But, you know, and that's, I think the leadership and the face-offs were mitigated by the lack of production. But, you know, in the playoffs, that line of Kapanen and Martin was effective. So, uh, you know, he did earn... He did earn some respect for me, but I, I, I you know, I'd say C plus. Yeah. I have trouble giving him too much flack on his production in regard because his role changed. I mean, he he played a lot more of an offensive role when he was with the Lightning. In regards to coming back with Toronto, when you're a 32 year old guy, don't underestimate the importance of what the wife thinks, um, because I think she's living, you know, in Tampa Bay still. They just had a their second child. And Brian made mention of the fact that he's going to go home and let the wife rest for a bit. I think when you're at 32 years old, I think if, if Tampa Bay is open to having him back, I would not be surprised to see Brian Boyle as a, a Tampa Bay Lightning player again next season. As much as I think he enjoyed his time with the Leafs and being around the young, and it, it might have invigorated him being around the younger kids um, who were you know tasting it for the first time, I think it's your final contract. You've got two small children. I honestly, I, if I had to put my money on it, I would say that he won't be back with Toronto. He's an American-born player as well. Financial stuff comes into it. And as for his performance with the Leafs, I think I think they needed that. I, I, I don't know whether the Leafs would have gotten into the playoffs with you know Ben Smith as your fourth-line center. And as you said, Freddie Goche, I give him a B because of the lack of offensive production. But again, I can't fault him for that because he went from you know, a guy who played a bit of an offensive role, I think even at power play time in Tampa Bay. He didn't get any of that in Toronto. He literally was just centering the fourth line, coming up to take a draw and then leaving the ice and killing penalties for the Leafs. So you can't really expect a guy to score when he's not put in a position to score. He did find uh, um, Kasperi Kaepernick with that beautiful pass in Game 2 of the Washington series. That was an Austin Matthews-style pass. I I still don't even know where that came from, to, to be going one way and then all of a sudden turn around and backhand it to Kapanen, who luckily was ready for it because I wouldn't have been. So I, I, I give him a B. Unfortunately, I think we've seen the last of Brian Boyle as a Maple Leaf, and I could be wrong, and I hope I am because I'd like to see him back uh, on a one-year deal, but I don't think he's going to come here, especially if there's a multi-year deal available elsewhere. Well, yeah, that's you know the business aspect and the personal side of things make him into play, like you said, here with Boyle and his future. 
I'm not really so sure if the Leafs are going to really entertain bringing him back all, all that much. Uh, I'd like to see him back. Don't get me wrong. I thought he was a good presence here. Um, but I think he was a pure rental, you know, in every sense of the word. And uh, I think he was a really uh, effective rental because he, he filled the void they needed and, and they, got, he, they, you know, they got into the playoffs. And uh, and in the playoffs, you know, he, he was, uh, you know, he was great in the draw. Uh, um, in the circle, and he had that big play, and and I think uh, it was good, probably for those guys going through the experience to have him around, and then they'll in the future they'll kind of feed off some of the things that he did or some of the how he carried himself. So hopefully he leaves a, an impression on them, but I, but I think we'll probably see the last of them. Um, I'll give him a B minus, and uh, if he's back, that'd be great. Well, we just got a few players left. Um, two or small samples, and then we've got Casper Kapanen. Again, a small sample, but he's a guy who. He earned his chance to be a Toronto Maple Leaf, and I think um, I think in some ways he was a bit handcuffed because he was saddled playing with the fourth line, and I would have liked to have seen him play a, a little bit with some more talented uh, offensive players. We didn't get to see that. However, we saw him score some big goals for the Leafs uh, in his very short tenure here, including one against the Penguins to... Uh, to seal the clinch, and uh, of course the overtime winner in Game Two of the Washington series. Um, that Phil Kessel deal is all of a sudden looking a hell of a lot better than it did the day they made it. I mean, it was Phil Kessel for Scott Harrington and a draft pick. The draft pick was eventually turned into Freddie Anderson, and Scott Harrington was traded for Kirby Reichel, who had a really great season with the Marlies this season. And all of a sudden. You know, and I know the the main thing that they wanted to do when they traded Phil Kessel was to get Phil Kessel out of Toronto. But you know what? If Kasperi Kapanen can turn into something, we're looking good on that deal. He looked very, very. Um, we 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 saw small sample size last season, and I thought he looked overwhelmed last season. He didn't have any points last season. This year, I saw a guy who looked a lot more aggressive. You'd think, you know, Boyle and, and Martin were going to be the guys that were hitting. Kavanaugh was hitting guys, too, on that line. I saw a more physical presence. He's, with the exception of maybe Zach Hyman, he's uh, the fastest guy on the ice with the Toronto Maple Leafs on a team that's already known for their speed. Um, I think something can happen with Kasperi Kapanen. And when we talk about JVR being moved at some point, you're going to need somebody to move into that offensive role, and Kapanen could be that guy. I give him a B-plus for what he did. And again, I think he was a little bit handcuffed because he was playing on a fourth line and he was uh, more of an energy type thing. He did well on that, but I think I think there's more to see. And we've seen it, you know, with the Marlies. He's shown the offensive talent. I know some people who we've had on this show think he's an AHL player, but he did everything he could to prove those people wrong, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, great skater. I think, he, and, and the fact that when he first came up, he's on the ice with like less than a minute left and uh, killing penalties and doing all that stuff. He, he had a great showing for the future. I think he's, uh, you can get your pencils out for next year and put, put him in there somewhere. Really seems to be a, becoming a rounded player. Considering he was a guy drafted basically for his skill and his, his upside as far as the fanciness and the, and the speed and that stuff. But he looks like a, a really well-rounded uh, player. I thought he earned more ice time. Actually, I wouldn't like to see him get bumped up here and there. Cause I, yeah, I, I like exactly. Yeah. And he scores big, hey, uh, he scores, scores big goals, doesn't he? I mean, he scores uh, oh, the World man. Junior Championship goal two years ago with Finland. He scores the one to clinch it yep. for the Leafs, and he scores uh, the one to uh, tie the series up at one in 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 the playoffs. Yeah. So, 
All right. Well, uh, Jude, you got to take off, I understand. And I just want to thank you for your contributions this year in, in, in season two of the Blue and White Tonight podcast. Thank you for all your uh, your great analysis. And uh, and I think we really developed a, an on-air relationship, the three of us. And uh, and, and thanks for everything you did for the show. And uh, And I look forward to the future with you. Yeah, you too, man. I appreciate it every minute of it. I appreciate being included of it. I appreciate all the conversations, all the hockey talk, passion, and everything that obviously that you've done to create this and uh, let me be a part of it, um, even with Mike. <laughs> <laughs> all the all the love, Jude. All the love. <laughs> okay, boys. Okay. All right. We'll stay in touch, all Jude. Right. Thank you. Okay. Did you do Kapanen? No, I didn't do. Didn't do Kapanen. Okay, so. Um, I think Kapanen this year has proved, you know, I mean, he, he did what Brown and Neilander and Hyman did last year. He played a full season in the AHL, although, you know, he'd lost seven weeks due to a, an ankle injury, but you know, he was a point per game player and I think came up, I mean, last year he was not ready for the NHL. This year he came up, came up as a much more finished product and right. you could see what he, what he, what he was able to accomplish at the end of the regular season in a fourth line role and in the playoffs. I think that they have plans for him, whether it means, you know, him being a top nine forward or him being a young, the young piece that they move for a young defenseman. I mean, that's the possibility. I don't think that there is the anxiousness to, to move a Mitch Marner, to move Connor Brown, to move, or to move William, William Nylander to get a a young defenseman who can play in the top four, but, you know, maybe Kapanen is a guy that, you know, he's good, he's an NHLer, but that's the price you might have to pay to get, say, a Noah Hannafin in a trade or something like that. Right. I mean, it'd probably be a bigger deal than that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, all in all, a, a, a really good season. I, I would, you know, I'm hesitant to give him a grade on such a small sample size, but overall, uh, you know, using AHL and NHL, I would give him, I would give him a B. And I, I think he's an NHL player. The only thing I, I'm concerned a bit about is his durability. He's been injured a number of different times, a number of different things. This year it was twice with the ankle. And then um, he just got injured in the uh, game four against uh, Albany. Both cheap shots uh, though, right? So it was a cheap shot and, you know, and more than likely he's going to be back for the next series against Syracuse. But I'm just saying in terms of durability and sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it's just, you know, players just, they, they find injuries and I hope that's just a small window for him because I think if he can stay healthy, he's going to be a pretty good NHL player. Nikita Soshnikov is, is almost exactly what you just described as well. He's a guy that seems to just get injured all the time. And he plays with that edge, but he doesn't really have the frame. He's almost the Connor Carrick version of a forward. He's always hitting. He's always in your face. But something happened to him this season because we didn't see him for a very long time to finish the season. And I can't remember what the injury was or what the injury was stated, but it was a very mysterious one, this last one, because he wasn't even talked about. He was just all of a sudden injured, and he never came back. And I like the way he plays when he's in the lineup. I like the fact that he's got a bit of offense. He can he's got a good shot and I love his rambunctiousness and his spunk. But again, a guy who just continuously gets injured in his uh early in the season. He was injured to start the season, didn't even start with the team because he was injured in training camp. And then he got injured again in the season, then he got injured and we never saw him again. Is there a future for Sashnikov with his team, Mike? 
I, I think there's a future, but the, but the durability questions, like I mentioned with Kapanen, are I think even more emphasized uh, with Sashnikov. I mean, he just simply can't stay healthy. I mean, he plays he plays a game that I think is more meant for a bigger player. I mean, he goes into the goes into the corners, he digs out the puck, and he's speedy, but you know he either doesn't protect himself or is just has no fear. And sometimes players who have no fear, they get injured like that. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I know that Babcock likes him and I think that there's a role for him, but you're getting to the point now where the durability question is going to come to the forefront because you're going to have players like Reichel who are bigger like Leipzig, who I think are more of a top-end offensive player, even guys like Trevor Moore, who they signed. I mean, they have three, four guys who eventually could be NHLers, at least up front with the Marlies, and they may move past Oshnikov simply because they can stay in the lineup because I think he was effective when he did play, and he played well in the penalty kill and in that fourth-line, third-line role. You know, he sort of, I think, mostly the fourth line, but he, he moved up a couple times. But, yeah, the the... Him staying in the lineup is the big question. Another guy, well, I guess we should give him a grade. I, I give him a B for when he was in the lineup. I thought he was definitely uh, effective. Um, it's just I wonder what happened to him. He, I, I still don't even know what's wrong with him. Is it a shoulder, a knee? I mean, I don't know. But I do give him a B. What's your grade for him? I'll give him a B-. minus. And last but not least, we have Josh Levo, who that's a mysterious thing, too, because this is a guy, when he comes in, he scores. But... Yeah. You know, unfortunately, your fourth line, it's not about scoring. It's about being able to play a complete two-way game. And I know there's a lot of people who are baffled. And there's a lot of people out there who believe that all four of the Leafs lines should be highly skilled scoring machines. But that's not the way the game works, especially in the playoffs. You got to have that line that can shut people down. Josh Lebel can score at will. But you mentioned earlier that he was a uh, a knownest draft pick. and you know, he's from a different era and not many people survived that era. You know, Shanahan came in, Lamarillo came in and one by one, they were moving those guys out. And I don't know what the future holds for Josh Levo. There could be a trade, uh, like you said, in order to uh, save guys like Leipzig and Reichel and have them take Eric Fair instead. I don't know. I don't know what's in the works, but one thing I do know is that as much as Josh Levo scores, He's not a Mike Babcock guy. You know, he chose to put Kasperi cap and, 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 and Levo could have been still injured, but from all accounts I heard, he was healthy and he couldn't remove Kasperi Kapanen from the lineup, which had a lot to do with Kasperi's performance, obviously. But Josh Levo just seemed to always be the odd man out, you know, more than he was the odd man in. And I, I, I don't know what the future will hold for him. Ironically, I think if a scoring forward like Van Reems, say Van Reems that got hurt in the playoffs, I think Levo would have been the guy yeah. to be inserted because Levo has top nine offensive ability. It's just, you know, Mike Babcock doesn't see the fourth line as being a scoring line. He wants it to be, you know, a grind line, an energy line. So in that aspect, Levo doesn't fit. I don't think Babcock has, has anything against Josh Levo. He was very effusive in his praise when he did play and he was scoring and scoring regularly. It's just, I think he sees him as a scoring forward and, you know, you didn't really have any, I mean, have any injuries uh, in the top nine. I mean, when Marner went out, that was when Levo factored into the lineup and he performed well. And that's why I think there's going to be some 
interest in him from a team like Vegas where, you know, he's tw- what, 23 years old and he can score and he's on a cheap contract and he signed for another year. I mean, I think that's an attractive get for a team that's going to be looking for young players. And, you know, he would, I think he would fit in and, and I hope he gets his opportunity because I think, you know, I think he can be a good NHL player. I think he's got the skill. He's worked on his game. I just don't think right now it's going to work with Toronto unless, you know, unless he's unless he's the guy who replaces JVR in the top nine if they trade JVR. I mean, that's possible too. They they see a cheap, uh, you know, a cheap contract under a million dollars that can go in and and replace, you know, adequately the scoring of JVR. I mean, maybe that's in the plan. We won't know until we get closer to the expansion draft. But I I don't expect Josh Levo to be on this roster. But for what he did this year in the limited games, I'd give him a B because I think you know when he did play and did get a chance. He did score. Well, I think Kasperi Kapanen provides some things that Josh Levo doesn't provide to be right. a, a decent addition to a fourth line, and that is, first of all, his skating ability. Josh Levo can't skate half as good as Kasperi Kapanen. Um, and penalty killing. And yeah, penalty killing. Yeah, and, and, and killing penalties as well. Ironically, Kasperi Kapanen, when we acquired him, I, I think you mentioned this, was that, you know, the same thing. He needed to become more of a well-rounded player. And uh, Babcock sent him down to the minors two straight seasons and said, uh, you know, and gave him to Sheldon Keefe. And Sheldon Keefe's job, as much as we enjoy watching the Marlies win, Sheldon Keefe's job is to develop players to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's his main concern. Um, Obviously, it's great to win. It'd be great to win, you know, to win the championship down there. But his job, he, he will be graded when it all comes down to it on how many players he's developed for the Toronto Maple and he's doing a pretty damn good job right now if I if I do say so myself look at all the rookies that were in the lineup that started with Sheldon last season and and Kasperi rounded himself out and he is a guy like we said we watched him play on the fourth line he was throwing the body around he was killing penalties he was skating well whereas a guy like Josh Josh Lee was more of a one-dimensional player he's got a great shot he's got good scoring talent he's not a great skater he's not going to kill penalties for you and I think Babcock likes those well-rounded players that you can fit on any line. And I don't know, and and I know there's been a conditioning issue with Levo in the past too. I don't know if he's done anything to rectify that. But uh, you know, I I also give him a B though because he did come in and he scored. And Ryan held up uh, something a minute ago. He had ten points in thirteen games and was a plus two. Ryan, plus two in 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 the uh, the games that he appeared in. So. That's pretty much it. We've we've gone over the the roster as it stood on the the final day of the season. Today, as we record this, it's actually April thirtieth. And uh, do you know what we were all doing last April thirtieth, Mike? I was at the CBC building in exactly. downtown Toronto, awaiting the results of the NHL draft exactly. lottery. Exactly. We were all getting ready to watch the draft lottery, which the Leafs eventually won. We got awesome. We we don't have to tell that story again. This year, we weren't so interested. The Leafs are going to pick either 17th or 18 in this year's draft. It all depends on the Nashville-St. Louis playoff series. If Nashville wins, then it's 17th. If St. Louis wins, then it's 18th. So I know all of you Leaf fans will agree when I say, let's go Nashville. And uh, I want to thank, uh, I already thank Jude for his uh, contributions. I want to thank RG4 for his amazing job producing and editing this program and making it sound so good. So thank you, Ryan. And I know we left you a nice present for the final edit of the season, three hours almost. Um, so we promise when we do release it, it's going to be a fantastic show, as you 
if you've gotten to this point in the show, you've already heard that it was a fantastic show. I also want to thank Mike and Buffalo at Jello. You know, we, we started out having you last season, Mike, as a, a kind of a, a guest to start, and then a regular guest, and then a fill-in co-host. And then somewhere last summer, we decided that it would be best to just have you on all the time. And uh, I think we've developed a good on-air chemistry between the three of us. And, you know, it, it's, I can't say enough for, uh, for everything you provided. Your, your analysis is fantastic. And I, like I said, uh, between the three of us, I think we put on a good show for the listeners. So thanks so much. And uh, I'm sure the, the listeners out there want to hear a speech from you. So the floor is yours. Well, I, I, I just want to thank you guys for, you know, giving me the, the venue to uh, vent my, my uh, opinions, uh, sometimes a little long-winded. But, I, I, you know, honestly, it, it, I look forward to the Sunday mornings when we can discuss the Maple Leafs. And I think that, you know, you look at this team going forward and how much optimism there is about them and I think this is going to be an off season where a lot of things are going to happen and I think you know you know as you said 17th 18th pick in the first round I'd be surprised if they stay there because I think Mark Hunter is going to look at this draft and the you know a lot of people don't think that this draft is a great draft but I think that there is going to be some upward mobility with the Leafs having as many prospects as they do and extra draft picks if they if they spot somebody they like that's in the, you know, say the bottom half of the top 10 or maybe in the early teens. I think that they're going to try to move up and get that player, especially if it's a defenseman. So yeah. I think, uh, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be some interesting moves. And I think that defense is going to be the focus of, uh, Lou Lamorello and Mike Babcock. So we have that to look forward to and talk about, uh, you know, next, uh, September when we come back. And we also have the rookie camp as well that hasn't been announced yet, but, uh, two years ago it was in Collingwood and last year it was in Niagara Falls, Ontario. So we'll see where they I'm, decide to go this year. And, uh, I'm and, hoping for I'm hoping for Niagara Falls again. It was a very short drive for me. And I'm hoping for Collingwood, which is a very short drive for me. So we'll see what <laughs> happens. But even if it is in Collingwood, maybe we'll uh, we'll we'll see up here for uh, for a day or two. So, and last but certainly not least, guys, I want to thank all of you listeners for tuning in this season. It was a great year to be a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And I know there's a lot of people out there that have said some flattering words about us, um, you know, that we are the best Maple Leaf podcast out there. And uh, I agree, um, but uh, but we, we certainly enjoy hearing it from you guys. And we're very glad that you enjoy the show. And uh, we look forward to providing it more of that for you in the future. And um, like Mike said, we enjoy sharing our, our analysis with you every Sunday and, and to talk about. And this was so different than first season, right? The first season we we watched... Uh, a throwaway season where the Leafs pretty much did everything they could to get the best odds in the lottery. And then this season, it was like, no, we want to win. And then we made the playoffs and it was fantastic. The future is very bright for this team. So you guys have a great summer and we'll see you next time on the Blue and White Tonight podcast.